0: Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about roses and rose hips. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Well, today we're talking about the queen of flowers, the rose. Oh, you could write books upon books about roses. So there's so much history and folklore and information. So we'll start with the family. The Rosaceae family is where roses come from. Rosa being the genus, and there are so many different species, and then even more different varieties of this plant. Most plants in the Rosaceae family interbreed among themselves very easily. So they can be cultivated and bred and more new varieties created all the time, either in the wild or by the hand of humans there are what else is in the rose family apples hawthorns peaches a lot of different fruit trees i think even almonds it's a very large family that is full of wonderful fruits and foods roses being one of those wonderful plants Rose is native to many places in the Northern hemisphere of the world. Lots of different varieties and species of roses. There are at least 20 different species of roses that are native to North America. There's also roses that are native to Asia, and it's speculated that some of the original cultivation of roses started in China. The Rosa rugosa, which I love, it grows often on the seashores, at least in Maine, and probably New England in general, is uh, originally from Japan, China, and Korea, and it was thought to possibly have made its way to New England on ships, as it was the hips where the fruit of the rose was carried as a source of vitamin C, and of course in those hips were seeds. And so the plant was then spread pretty readily that way. There's also another really common rose is the dog rose, Rosa canina or canina, canine basically with an A instead of an E at the end. And these have pretty small hips. This is a rose that's native to Europe and temperate Asia and North Africa. And it's interesting, it's called the dog rose, supposedly because the ancient Celts believed that they could use the root against infected wolf bites. They could use it for both themselves or for their domestic animals that were bitten by wolves. It's also said that it could be, um, the root could be used for rabid dog bites. So that's how it got its name. I don't think it's used that way today, but maybe. Uh, Another really common rose species is the Rosa Gallica, which is native to the Middle East, originally from Iran, or which was known as Persia. Um, And this interesting species is no longer found in the wild, but it's been cultivated for at least 3,000 years it's thought that maybe this is also one of the birthplaces of the cultivated rose, being northern Persia, or what is now Iran, and that from there, it spread across Mesopotamia to Palestine and across Asia Minor to Greece, and then the Greek colonists brought it to southern Italy, where the Romans then also began cultivating this rose. And from there, it traveled to Egypt via Greece and southern Italy. There's also the damask rose. The Well, the damask rose is the official rose for distilling and creating rose water and essential oils. It grows in France now, it's thought to maybe have an unknown original origin, but there's one thing I read where Conquering Turks introduced the Damask Rose to Bulgaria, which is now one of the major cultivation places of the Damask Rose and the essential oil of the Damask Rose, which is also called Rose Otto. There are now over 300 varieties of the Damask Rose species, so it's become a very popular flower, and it's one that you, you'll see on the essential oil bottles and in uh, the, the herb market. There are over 10,000 varieties of cultivated roses right now, and they're mostly cultivated in Bulgaria, Iran, and India, the damask rose specifically. The way roses were spread around the world and traded and brought from place to place, whether it was you know through the love of the scent or as medicine or food or as even um, conquests from war, it really reminds me a lot of the spice trade and how you know really important spices were traded around the world and really had really high regard around them. There's so much folklore and history around the rose. Universally, though, I think we all understand the rose to be connected to love and happiness, but also long life and life transitions, ceremonies, um, spiritual practice, even war and peace, and in death. So rose is not only a symbol of love and death, but also conquest and war, which possibly are two sides of the same coin, perhaps. Rose petals um, have been found in ancient sites throughout North America, some carbon dated to be twenty to 40,000 years old. And the North American native people indigenous people mixed uh, the rose petals with bear grease the fresh petals to help heal mouth sores and also worked with the tea of rose petals to help with eye help soothe eye irritations which are two ways that rose can still be worked with today Persian warriors where the rose was really popular in Persia at the time, adorned their shields with red roses. There was a Greek poet named Sappho, or Sapo, in the 6th century BCE, who originally called the rose the queen of flowers, which is now also what it is often called and referred to as. And there's a Greek story that when Flora, the goddess of flowers, was overcome with um, grief from one of her favorite nymphs passing or dying, she went to the other gods to help in turning the um, immortal essence of this nymph into a mortal flower. And Apollo gave this flower, the power of the sun, and Bacchus bathed the herb in nectar, and flora gave her beauty and color. And that nymph's immortal essence became mortalized as a rose. It was also said Cleopatra, a queen of early Egypt, uh, really had a love for roses, and it was said that at times her floors in her greeting area would be covered knee-deep in rose petals. It's quite possibly the first plant that was used in distillation, and this is credited to Avicenna, who is a 10th century Arab physician, and it was rose water that he was distilling. And this was around 980 to 1037. So it was really seen in the early, you know, 1100 to 1200s, really seen as an aid in meditation and prayer. And St. Dominic at this time was said to be visited by the Virgin Mary in a mystical vision and received the first rosary. So we've, you know, we've heard of rosary or we've seen rosary, maybe you've prayed with rosaries, but it's these long strands of beads that help you, um, you know, keep track when you are in prayer. And each bead that the Virgin Mary gave to him was scented with roses, Interestingly enough, Buddhists and Muslims also have uh, forms of a rosary. And even in Asia, dried rose petals were made into beads and strung into strands to help monks keep track of devotional prayers. And then the practice also occurred independently in Europe. And that's the source of the Catholic term uh, rosary. Rose in India was a well-known flower of love and devotion of both bhakti and puja and Puja is a ritual prayer performed for gods and bhakti is the divine devotion toward a god So both Puja and bhakti are ways of worshiping gods in Hinduism and roses are were known to help in these ceremonies. So lots of religions around the world where roses can be found incorporated the rose into their prayer and into their ceremony. And I believe that that has a lot to do with the scent, this beautiful scent and visual color of the plant to really help to bring us into a ritualistic state. So it's the rose long been a symbol of love and purity and has been a part of weddings throughout history. In ancient Rome, brides wore rose garlands and the petals were strewn where they would walk. The Romans would lavishly cover their banquet floors and statues and the streets in front of Victor's houses and strewn around. A, around wedding couples just with roses they would crown young couples with roses and give them garlands to wear and even would decorate graves and funeral processions with the roses and this is still done today both in wedding ceremonies roses are very still dominant and also in funerals and funeral processions and actually in the burying of, of the casket, often roses are thrown in with the casket into the ground. And this was a custom that was originated, thought to have originated in Egypt. In medieval times, a rose would be suspended over a table to signify that any talk that happened under it would be strictly confidential. And there's actually now a term that's called sub rosa, which means in greatest confidence. And you know, it's often common in old houses that you can find a plaster rose in the center of ceilings in certain rooms whether it's a dining room over a table or in a living room. And this is what that originally signified. There was a, um, in the 1600s, from my understanding, there's a story of this Persian princess, Nor Jahan, who discovered rose oil while being rowed in a canal full of rose petals during her wedding procession. I've actually heard two versions of this story, but I like this version uh, better. So she, as she was being rowed along, it was a hot day and the Canal water was quite warm, and she could see a skin. You know, they're full of rose petals, and she could see a a skim of oil on the top of the surface of the water. And she swept her hand through it and could feel and see and smell that oil on the top of it. And she asked her father at the time um, to have his alchemist extract that essence from the rose petals. And supposedly this began the manufacture of Attar of Roses in Persia in 1612. And it was thought that the plant probably came to the ancient city of Damascus in Syria from Persia and Iran, um, or which is now called Iran. And then... The other part of the story that I heard is actually similar. There was a wedding procession, but it was the the prince who was getting married and he decided he wanted the whole canal to be filled with rose water for his wedding procession, um, which seems less likely to me. But since then, in the 1700s, France really started making uh, rose oil uh, and distilling roses, but still mostly for the rose water, the rose essential oil. It takes so many roses to actually make the oil that it's really hard to make rose essential oil, pure rose essential oil. Interestingly enough, the oldest, there's still an extremely old living rose and it's a, a dog rose. And it's found growing in the Hildesheim Cathedral in Hildesheim, Germany. It's thought to have been living since the early, since 815 of the Common Era. So its it's name is the Thousand Year Rose in German, which I'm not, I will just, I'll murder that sayings the name so I'm not gonna say it Um, but the the name of the rose translated literally means thousand years rosebush and it's also known as the rose of Hildesheim and it grows and I I highly recommend googling it checking it out it grows on an the apes of the Hildesheim Cathedral and which is a cathedral that's actually dedicated to the Assumption of Mary, which is interesting because the the rose definitely has um, historical connections to Mary, and it climbs on the wall of the cathedral. It's thought to, or it, right now, is reaching the height of around thirty three feet or so tall. And there's documentation that verifies its age of being approximately 700 years old. It may be older. But there, interestingly enough, the cathedral was destroyed um, by Allied bombers in 1945 during World War II, but the roots of the rose bush survived that, and it regrew and blossomed again among the ruins. And the cathedral has since been rebuilt According to legend, while the rose bush flourishes, Hildesheim will prosper. Be a really interesting uh, pilgrimage site to check out. So, roses, again, they have a long history in the perfume industry. And in fact, actually, many perfumes use rose essential oil within their formulas. So, you know, why do we want to smell like roses or why are we so attracted? to the smell of roses? Why do we think that the smell of rose is known to be an aphrodisiac and potentially even a fertility enhancer? Like, why do we find it to be so attractive? And interestingly enough, the damask rose contains a chemical in it called farnesol in the volatile oil. It it contributes to the sweet smell of the rose it's also found in flowers such as neroli and jasmine and ylang-ylang all really beautiful very sweet scented flowers that are also known to be aphrodisiac and farnesol doesn't yet known to have a, a molecular impact on human pheromone receptors However, we do create Farnasol, Um And it is also created by bumblebees as a pheromone to, that bumblebees create and have. And the bumblebees, this pheromone has been shown um, that it attracts nest mates for the bumblebees. It's also found in elephants and tends to be excreted during a period of high testosterone levels in male elephants so potentially in both bumblebees and elephants and quite possibly maybe in humans and well and this is why we're so attracted to it is that it has it's a pheromone that attracts romance i guess or mating <laughs> quite interesting anyhow and in 2015, American consumers spent more than $2 billion on roses for their lovers on Valentine's Day. So it's got something going for it. And it would be really interesting, I think, if it's so down to like a very minute molecular pheromonal level, that is one reason why we are so drawn to it. So there two different parts of the roses that are useful there's the and well actually all parts of the rose are useful but most commonly the flowers and the hips the rose hips which is the fruit and right now we are coming into a time where the rose hips are ripening and are prime for harvesting Sometimes people say, you know, harvest it right after the first kiss of a frost. You can also do it before, just as long as the hips look nice and red and ripe. I find sometimes, especially with the Rosa rugosa that has these really large hips, that after a frost or two, um, they can get kind of mushy and a little rotty. So especially for the Rosa rugosa, I like harvesting them maybe before, at least before a heavy frost, maybe like the first light frost would be okay. Rose hips are a really nutrient-dense wild food, and they're one of the best sources of freely available vitamin C complex, as well as bioflavonoids. Per ounce per ounce, they have more vitamin C than almost any other food. And in World War it was a supplement that that was harvested a lot rose hips and syrup was made and it was a supplement that was useful when there was shortages of other food and it really kind of helped people get through really hard times there's also uh, loaded with antioxidants and pectin carotenes fatty oils, and B-complex, and vitamin E, selenium, chromium, niacin, phosphorus, protein. It's just a very nutrient-dense and rich food that is that can be concentrated in a syrup or extracted into a vinegar or a nourishing herbal infusion. So it has a... F- Lots of full body, because it's so nutrient rich, it really is kind of a full body tonic, the rose hips, and also has some affinities with some specific aspects of our body. So not only does it support full, whole body health, um, but it also can help ease, you know, general debility and extreme exhaustion, or if you're coming out of a debilitated or chronic illness or a debilitated state also very helpful in decreasing chronic inflammation or preventing oxidative damage in the body because it's so rich in antioxidants for our cardiovascular health it's a tonic it's a tonic to our blood and our heart it improves circulation and can prevent arteriosclerosis or hardening of the arteries. For our immune system, especially because of the vitamin C and bioflavonoids, it can really help build our immune defense. It also does have some antibacterial and antiviral properties and can be beneficial during uh, cold and flus times to help um support our immune functions and to fight infections. Um, Also, respiratory infections, it's beneficial for fighting and has been shown to have some anti-mutagenic properties or could possibly help our immune system um, deal with cancers. Also, a digestive support, the pectin in the fruit can help to modulate um, our intestinal, it can either help if we need a laxative or to um, if we feel too constipated. So it can either way be beneficial for that. It also um, can help our the health of our gallbladder. So we have our cardiovascular, immune, digestion also supports our kidneys. is a kidney tonic. And a diuretic um, can really be a support when we're dealing with any sort of conditions, dealing with our kidney and our bladder, our kidneys and our bladder. For arthritis or connective tissue health, it's, again, it's anti-inflammatory, it's antihistamine, and um, also antioxidants, so it can prevent oxidative damage. And this is all due to its large amount of bioflavonoids. Rose hips also have been shown to really be nourishing for our brain and can be really important for children who need help focusing or need help with concentration and attention or even just um, as a stress modulator. So the rose hip syrup could be really beneficial as a daily tonic for children and adults. Also topically, uh, rosehip seed oil is a item of commerce. They actually extract oil from pressing the seeds. I don't know if they press it, they might use a solvent, so that's something to look into. But it's used um, a lot in high-end skincare products to prevent wrinkles, heal scars, and burns. There's lots of different ways that you can prepare rose hips. You can gather the hips, um, like I said, in October after the first frost or maybe just before. Usually things get a little sweeter after the first frost and it also helps to break the cell walls of the fruit so that we can more easily extract the nutrition from it. However, it's thought that maybe there'll be more vitamin C in the rose hips in If you harvest them before the first frost, it's also said that it seems like the rose hips hold more vitamin C than most things do, even as it dries. I'm not sure I haven't seen the science on that, but something to consider. When you, so you've gathered your rose hips and then depending on the size of them, you can either dry them whole if they're small, or you can cut them in half and put them in a dehydrator or lay them out on a screen for drying. Um, And then the dried hips you could use for nourishing herbal infusions or at a simmer, uh, making a decoction uh, for syrups. Something to note about the rose hips is that when you cut them open there, well, there might be worms inside them, so that's something to be um, aware of and to be on the lookout for, little white worms. There's also um, hairs that surround all the seeds in there and the hairs can be very irritating to the throat um, and also to the intestines. And so it, anytime you make um, an in, a syrup or an infusion that would contain these hairs, you just want to make sure that you strain it through a cloth that's going to catch the hairs. So strain it really well, because you don't want to ingest those hairs. Sometimes people will actually, if you have big, like rugosa hips, you cut them in half and you use a little tiny s- spoon and scoop out the seeds and hairs. But for me, that is very time and labor intensive. And I just feel like a lot of people don't have that kind of time to spend. I mean, maybe if you're sitting around doing something else and you need something to do with your hands, that could be something that you could do. But otherwise, um, you know, just strain, just strain it really well. And if you buy dried rose hips or rose hips powder, Um, on the market, then it's not a concern because the hairs have already been removed. So you don't have to worry about that. The hips um, should be used within six to 12 months of being dried because they will lose some of their nutrition relatively quickly. And I think that the most common thing that people do is to make a syrup. So you just cook down the hips Um, fresh is best, but if you have dried, then you can just make a really strong decoction with them. And then it's equal parts of your decoction with a honey. You could even infuse some rose hips in some honey over a really low heat for a long time. And then you could add the rose hip-infused honey to your syrup if you wanted to get fancy. You could also add a little bit of um, hibiscus flowers, like dried hibiscus flowers, just to give it a little bit more of a red color and a little bit more of a little sour flavor punch. And more vitamin C. Um, They have relatively similar properties. You could also add some elderberries to your rose hip syrup, if you want. Also, people make rosehip jelly and jams, or you could do an infused vinegar, which would help extract a lot of the nutrition, or an oxamel, which is a vinegar-honey combination. Uh, you can also buy the powder of rosehips and add it to foods like maybe yogurt or smoothies Or just blend the powder in with honey to make an electuary. um, Or make like little pastilles and just eat eat them like that. Basically, any way that you could get rose hips into um, a little daily bite, like a little daily nutrition jolt um, for everyday health, could be really beneficial. There's a lot of scientific studies out there. A lot of them are done on the rose hip powder. So there's nothing wrong with that, especially if it's an easy way for you to find it and purchase it. Just avoid the capsules, I would say, and go straight for the powder so you can taste it. You know you have something good and you want it relatively freshly powered powdered because, again, anytime we powder something, it's going to degrade relatively quickly. And if rose hips already degrade relatively quickly, then the sooner you consume that rose hip powder, the better. We're going to get into the benefits of rose flowers and different preparations you can make with those in just a minute or so. So stick with me and I'll be right back. Oh, rose flowers. Is there any more of a lovely, soft, delicate, beautiful, luscious medicine that you could find in this world? I'm not so sure if there is one that would be more wonderful than rose flowers. Rose flowers themselves do have some nutrients in them. They have some vitamin C and B and E and K going down the vitamin alphabet there. There's also that lovely volatile oil that gives them the wonderful scent. And it's usually the rose flowers that we're going to be working with are going to be ones that have a nice scent to them. Rose petals are generally considered to be cooling and soothing. Um, They can be sweet and also astringent. The flowers are also seen to be as a whole body tonic, very soothing and calming. Imagine being wrapped in a blanket of rose petals. And that's kind of, oh, that wonderful feeling that just gives me a general sense of how the roses can affect our whole body and all different aspects of our body. But we'll get into more specifics. So the rose flowers are associated with heart health, Digestive health, um, liver health, uh, respiratory health, and reproductive health. So that's a lot, right? They're generally antispasmodic, so they can stop spasms. They are anti inflammatory, which kind of goes along with their cooling nature. And they are also antioxidants, similar to the rose hips. In China, they use the rosa rugosa petals as a qi nourisher and a blood and liver tonic. So for the liver, the rose petals are considered to be a liver tonic. They support healthy metabolism and elimination of unwanted metabolites. They also are able to support the liver and gallbladder in bile production which is really helpful for digestion. The roses are also very soothing and calming to the digestive process. Um, They are aromatic, which helps to give them a carminative action, which helps to alleviate gas and pain and bloating. The increase of bile production helps us to digest fats more easily and break down fats. They are um, astringent in nature, so they can help to tighten and tone the lining of the intestines, which is really helpful in cases of leaky gut or chronic diarrhea, possibly even a little mild bleeding in the intestines. Um, It has a bit of a modulating effect, so it could either be slightly laxative, but also can treat diarrhea, so it kind of just helps to modulate our intestines. Also very beneficial for our mouth and gum health. If there's any ulcers or sores in the mouth, and also for any sores and ulcers in the gut, it can be an astringent and very healing. It also is able to ease um, hyperacidity, any sort of enteritis, which is inflammation of the intestine, Um, which is often also accompanied with diarrhea, any sort of heartburn or indigestion, acid reflux, um, rose could be very beneficial for that, for easing that. So even something as simple as a rose tea, after dinner tea or before bed tea, something like that. Beneficial for our respiratory system. So if there's any sort of infection or inflammation in the lungs or bronchitis, the rose tea or rose honey can be very soothing and cooling, anti-inflammatory and anti-infective. Also a nice expectorant and decongestant. Rose Flowers have also been known to be beneficial for people who are dealing with asthma or bronchial infections that cause a lot of spasming. So its antispasmodic properties can help relieve coughs and some asthma and um, any muscle cramping and aches that can result from asthma or really chronic coughs. And again, rose flowers, I mean, I think of them as a very relatively mild, gentle, nutritive herb. So it's not something that's necessarily super potent or powerful, but um, nourishing and gentle and, and works over a period of time and also very beneficial for children and elders alike. Or people who are very sensitive to things. So although it is for our immune health, they are known to be antibacterial, antiviral, generally antiseptic, antifungal, you know, basically able to kill microbes, I think of other herbs as maybe being more so. Like maybe yara would be more so than rose. But that still is a possibility. They're also can be very cooling and used to manage fevers, both uh, topically and internally. So like a rose water or rose tea on a cool rag, um, kind of rubbed on the body to help cool the fever, but also uh, tea drunk internally. And it's not necessarily a diaphoretic where those tend to like, almost like increase the heat of the body before it releases the fever. From my understanding, the rose is more like a refrigerant or it's just generally cooling. It also could be really cooling for if you're just overheating on a hot summer day or if you have to work outside in the extreme heat or exercise in the extreme heat. Having a nice rose iced infusion to drink could be very cooling and soothing and help to prevent heat stroke. Other ways that rose can support immunity is that it can really help to aid in a speedy recovery from colds and flus, both because it can kind of nourish and build the body back up, but just like a nice gentle support of our lymph and relieving um, swollen lymph nodes and just kind of getting the metabolic waste out of our system. Rose has also been shown to be very soothing to like sore throats or tonsils or just irritated mucous membranes in cases of infection. Also for eye infections or irritations in the eyes, that rose water rinse or rose tea wash or uh, rose tea infused in a wash rag and placed over the closed eyes and just allowed to sit there um, can uh, help uh, reduce inflammation and irritation of from eye infections maybe something like pink eye could um, be calmed and cooled and hopefully eliminated Rose flowers can also be a kidney tonic, um, so they can help as a diuretic, and if there's any sort of bladder infections, it could be beneficial in helping to flush those out and potentially kill off the microbes. Rose, I think, is really well known as a heart tonic, both the emotional heart and the physical help Heart. It's able to nourish the heart and to improve circulation. It's thought to be a nutrient-rich blood tonic, not only the hips, but also the flowers, or maybe even a flower, rose flower, and hip combination remedy could be really nice. It helps to maintain a healthy blood pressure by improving circulation, relieving cardiac congestion and bringing tone and flexibility to the capillaries. Also known to help reduce swelling in the capillaries that are just underneath the skin. So where you might see like spider veins or kind of the broken blood cap capillaries um, on just under the surface of the skin, both drinking rose tea internally and applying either rose water or rose tea topically, repeatedly over a long period of time, could both help prevent and shrink um, these swollen and popped capillaries. They, the rose has been shown to reduce high cholesterol or help maintain healthy cholesterol levels also again for the emotional heart rose is very beneficial for people who are grieving a loss um, and can really help to open the emotional heart and spirit to increased self love and feelings of love toward others for our nervous system rose is considered to be a nervine or a nervine, a nervous system tonic. When I say tonic, I basically, I've been saying that a lot in this podcast, and po- tonic basically means it helps to make your, the organ, whatever it's, a, or your system, whatever it's a tonic, to function better. And by almost like exercising it, so it's like Whereas working out physically could be considered a tonic for your muscles, then you could consider some herbs to be tonics for other, for like the heart or the lungs, or just allows them to function better and um, modulates their actions. So um, the nervous system tonic of a rose can help to calm the nervous system, relieve nervous tensions, agitations, or even like feelings of being impatient, um, can help relieve anxiety and lift, uplift the spirit. Rose is also considered to be, uh, antidepressant or possibly, you know, very mild. So maybe a nice addition to other antidepressant herbs if needed. Also, is actually it's known to help release the dopamine, which is the hormone that helps us to feel happy, and can ease both a bad temper, can help people who are working through post-traumatic stress disorder, and hopefully turn it more into a post-traumatic stress discovery. Self esteem and self love is something that rose can really help foster in people and opening the heart and the mind to love and compassion both for oneself and for others. It's thought that the tea of rosebuds um, drunk before going to sleep in the evening can help bring prophetic dreams. There's also the ability of Rose um, as a mild analgesic or pain reliever. And also I think through its anti-inflammatory and anti-spasmodic properties and mild sedative properties kind of ties in with that ability to kind of relieve some pain and uncomfortability. Another thing that Rose really has an affinity for is the female reproductive system and for women in general. So the phytosterols and bioflavonoids that are found in roses really make a wonderful remedy for women who are really looking to modulate their hormones and to support their endocrine system in general. The rose, because it has this cooling effect, can help to reduce hot flashes or even like a rose water spray when you're feeling a hot flash come on could be beneficial. And then also to relieve uh, menopausal tensions. Rose is considered to be a womb tonic and a tonic to both the ovaries and the uterus. It can be astringent to reproductive organs Relieve, help, help to relieve pain that's associated with endometriosis or fibroids. That might be something like even rubbing a rose-infused oil onto the area of pain, as well as smelling rose and ingesting either a tea or a tincture of the rose petals. Also known to be beneficial for women who are dealing with uh, PMS... To help relieve um, uterine pain and spasms that come along with menses, it can help to modulate the menstrual cycle, either to bring on a period or reduce heavy menses. So it's interesting because you'll see some people say, as with any herb that could be considered an amenagogue, to avoid in pregnancy. Although it's such a mild herb, you probably need to take a lot of it to cause any sort of a concern. And then I have also seen it discussed as maybe even being helpful for for women who are experiencing um, threatened miscarriage that it could actually potentially. Um, help support a woman um, in that. So definitely something if you're going in either one, if you're pregnant and you want to work with herbs, I would definitely work with your midwife um, before doing anything crazy on your own. But just thinking about Rose as being supportive in one way or another is is a nice thought. Also for any sort of vaginal infections or inflammation, um, even if it leads to metritis, which is like a inflammation of the tissues or of the uterus itself, or leucorrhea, which is um, an unwanted discharge. The rose can be beneficial in relieving those. Um, But then on the other end, it can actually help to increase a healthy vaginal secretion can improve sex drive, is known to be an aphrodisiac, and could help really be used in rituals to help get you in the mood, so to speak. Not only that, but it can also increase fertility in women, but also in men, and can also be aphrodisiac for men, help um, men who are dealing with impotence, and also potentially increase uh, sperm count. In men, So, if you are feeling like you want to get in the mood, obviously, roses is one of the first places to go, and maybe that is why we spend billions of dollars on roses on Valentine's Day. Skin health, um, for the aging skin, all skin types, Rose can be very beneficial, especially for inflamed and hot and red skin again because it has this cooling benefit feeling to it also known as a vulnerary which is you know healing to skin wounds and an astringent which helps to pull um, tissue together Uh, so any sort of wounds or burns bruises um, any sort of cuts or incisions or red irritated rashes can really help to reduce inflamed skin and as we were saying earlier you know um, skin that has broken thread veins through it can be benefited by rose and sunburns if a nice rose water rinse or spray can really help to relieve the pain of the sunburn and can be softening to the skin as it heals There's so many amazing preparations that we can work with when we work with flowers. Just a side note, I've been wanting to say this in past podcasts, but I know I say a lot about how we can, uh, different body systems that herbs can be helpful for, and also different preparations that we can do. But I don't know if I ever really say exactly exactly you know, how you work with the preparations or dose things. And I think that in some ways, dosing is definitely very person specific. And since most of the herbs that I like to work with and talk about are mild enough that you can't necessarily overdo it, like I don't think you could take too much rose, but you can just find what works for you. It really comes from an inner knowing, um, from a gut level, intuition, and a trust in listening to your body and what your body wants. But in general, if we have a chronic condition that we're working with, we're going to need to use herbs in a chronic way. Like, you know, say you've had a condition for a year, you know, it might take a year to a month to a year to reverse that chronic condition, working with herbs and consistently working with herbs. And if it feels like, oh, I've been, I sprayed rose water on my eczema that I've had for a year and I've sprayed it on three times and nothing's changed, you know, stick with it. Just stick with it and see. Sometimes it takes a while for herbs to really have some results. However, the flip side of that is like sometimes it doesn't take any time for herbs to have results. On the short term, you know, it could you could spray that rose water on your eczema, and you could be like, "Oh, I haven't itched it for the past hour. I guess that rose water did help to soothe it." And then maybe if I work with it now more on a long term, it could have really help to reverse it or to heal it or to move it forward into a into a healthier state of being. So for acute situations, like I have a, I'm feeling an anxiety attack coming on, have your rose tincture or rose water right near you, smell the rose water, take the tincture in the moment, as much as you need, until you really start feeling relaxed and calm, and you can move, start moving away from that anxiety, you can really start to take that deep breath. But then on the long term, you know, if you feel like generally your nervous system is depleted and frayed, you're going to want to work with rose for the long haul, right? And maybe like incorporate a rose tea on a daily basis or some rose tincture on a daily basis type of thing lots of fun preparations to work with with roses i mean even just smelling the stop and smell the roses right is one of the first ways to work with a rose remedy just smelling it to help calm and center and ground the roses that we want to work with again are going to be roses that have a nice scent to them It doesn't have to be anything special. You probably definitely want to avoid roses that come right from florists because those I find actually generally don't have a strong scent, but they also are often treated with fungicides and pesticides to make them look so perfect. Also, if you're directly just purchased a rose plant from a garden nursery and just planted it in your garden, you know, they're often also sprayed with fungicides and pesticides and fertilizers. And so maybe give it one to three years before you really start working with it medicinally out of your garden. Wild roses are great. My preferred preference is the Rosa rugosa which you can also buy all kinds of different varieties of those now as well you want to gather your rose petal on a really dry day well after any rain or any fog and if it's been a few days and there's been a lot of rain and fog then you just want to cut those old blooms off of your plant to help to spur new blooms to come And when I harvest the petals from roses, I generally just take the petals. I don't cut the whole flower because if you just pull the petals off and leave the green base behind, then there is a very good chance that you will still get a rose hip from that flower. But if you cut the whole flower off, then you're also cutting off the potential for that to turn into a rose hip. I like to spread my rose petals out on a screen, on a drying rack screen, or um, in big airy baskets, so that you they aren't you know they're kind of spread out in a single layer, in a hot dry room that has some airflow to it. Um, one way that I really like to set up drying racks that I find works really well is I just take these old long screens, and I layer them at, on um, the wooden clothes drying racks that you can get that kind of fold, bend, fold up and down. And you can just kind of lay them across those and it makes quick and easy drying racks. And then once your rose buds are dried nicely, you can store them in a glass jar. If you store them you know, they will absorb moisture from the air so they can easily kind of get damp again. And you just have to be careful of them rotting. That's why we want to harvest them on super dry day, get them dry relatively quickly, and then store them in an airtight, um, humid resistant container. Roses, um, Fresh or dried could be worked with in food, baked goods, desserts, uh, rose-infused butter, sandwiches with rose petals in them, salads with rose petals in them, fruit salad. Cardamom and rose make a really nice taste combination, or cardamom, rose, and dates is kind of a nice classic combination for desserts rose tea alone is really nice Um, you can even do a a nourishing infusion of the rose petals because again it does have volatile oils but not a lot it's very hard to actually concentrate those volatile oils if you infuse your rose petals in like a cool or tepid water extract you can really get a nice gentle fragrance and taste from it especially the longer it infuses in the the room temperature water. If you are looking for more of the astringent or bitter properties, the more medicinal properties of the rose petals then a hot water infusion is beneficial for that. Rose petal tincture is wonderful. You can also do an elixir, which I consider an elixir, an elixir, to be a combination of alcohol and honey um, that you infuse your rose petals in and that is delicious, I have to say. It makes like a lovely after-dinner cordial or drink, um, and it's, or you could add it to cocktails. Uh, Rose petal syrup, so making basically like a really strong rose petal tea, and then adding some honey to it. It could even be rose petaled infused honey, equal parts honey to water, And, um, that makes a really nice rose petal syrup that then you can also either take by the spoonful or add to drinks. I've made a rose margarita before, which is delicious with the rose syrup. You can also, um, put like rose syrup over ice cream or in yogurt or whatever. It's delicious. Rose petal jam is uh, something that can be made. And Yule Gibbons has a really easy recipe in his book, Stocking the Healthful Herbs. um, Rose infused honey is lovely. So just take your rose petals, put them in a jar and then cover them in honey. And just leave them in there. That honey can be really helpful for sore throats or coughs or any sort of problems in the mouth or any sort of skin issues. You can even just take one of those rose petals out of the honey and place it on a wound as a, you know, and then maybe put a bandage over that. Um, Also, I like to use rose petal honey in face masks where I'll mix it with a little bit of rose water and a little bit of like French green clay and stir that together to make a nice paste and then use that as a face mask. That's just really lovely. Rose infused oil. I think, um, coconut oil makes a really nice rose infused oil and taking the rose petals, taking a a warmed coconut oil. So it's a liquid and, Pouring it over the rose petals and then somehow keeping it somewhat warm, whether it's in a brown paper bag, in a scent warm sunny window, or at a really low temperature in a double boiler. Um, but it really has to be the fresh rose petals if you want to get any of that scent into your rose oil. And then I notice after a while, once you let that coconut oil harden, you will find that. Underneath the coconut oil, there will be a little puddle of water, so you have to take your rose-infused coconut oil off of that water, or it will breed mold. But coconut oil really holds, plant smells really well, and for a really long time rose infused vinegar both for cooking also as an old remedy to apply topically for heat headaches or as a nice cooling skin treatment or astringent Uh, rose petaled oxamel is delicious so you have your rose vinegar um, and honey combined essentially and I also made a really delicious rose shrub, which was, um, rose petals, um, straw, frozen strawberries, and a touch of balsamic vinegar, apple cider vinegar, and honey, all mixed together in a jar in whatever ratio. I usually do three quarter vinegar, one quarter honey, and with a jar that's full of, The strawberries and the rose petals. And it is just so, so delicious. You get both the strawberry flavor with a little bit of that balsamic and the rose flavor, and put that in some bubbly water, and it is divine. Uh, You people will smoke the rose petals or put them in smoking blends. You can actually find lots of recipes on how to make rose flower beads I've never done it myself it is kind of looks like an involved an involved process but I would love to do that someday maybe when my daughter gets a little older we can do that together so basically lots of different ways to work with roses really you know sky's the limit whatever your creativity is again that they're very safe to work with very, um, mild in action and, but in a beautiful way and very, um, both really effective emotionally, I think because we have very similar pheromone chemistry and also, um, very helpful physically and very soothing. The, um, Rose water spray can really be helped both to cool temperaments and agitation, but also cool hot and inflamed skin or vaginal tissue or any sort of irritated mouth sores or skin eruptions. And rose leaves, I've never done it before, but it was at one time um, used as a substitute for black tea, and that's specifically of the dog rose. I'm sure it just has a very astringent, tannic flavor to it. I mean, you can even just imagine tasting a rose leaf as like I can already feel my mouth puckering from that. Well, I hope that all of this talk about rose has just made you want to go out and find some rose hips that are growing around you. You might even find one or two final flowers I this this week I you know it's the beginning of October and I did find a few Rosa rugosa blooms that were still blooming and lots of beautiful hips that are really starting to ripen now so now is the time go out have some fun find some roses and see what what kind of bond relationship that you can form there Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs.